I'm kind of like a bad penny. I keep turning up, don't I? <laughs> Thank you very much, Mary. I appreciate that in choir, Brian. Um, well, get your Bibles out. Let's go ahead and start there. Acts chapter 1. Let's just start with Acts chapter 1, and we're only going to read one verse, and then I'm going to uh, preach, teach, speak, whatever you call this. I've been in revival all week in a little place called Fairfax, well, actually a place called Sycamore. Any of you know where Sycamore is? Oh, you do? Yeah, okay. Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Well, I was, uh, I was in there in revival at Bethel Baptist Church uh, Monday through Wednesday night, and uh, just got back in Thursday and discovered that we had uh, friends from Nashville that worked with Lifeway years ago. Uh, they were there, and so we entertained them until last night at 10 o'clock. And um, so anyway, I, uh, you just take it from there. Where you, you, know, you know what to do with it. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. I want you to read this with me. And uh, where it says you, I want you to read it and say I. It should be on the screen. Would you read it with me? Here we go. But I will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon me. And I will be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, I pray that you'll take uh, the music, the prayers, uh, the Sunday school classes, the preparation, the study, the, everything, God, that you have orchestrated uh, in this church and in the individual lives of every member of this church, and God, that you will use them for your kingdom purposes. For God, uh, truly we exist for your purposes. So we ask you, God, now to use the uh, teachings uh, to accomplish your will in the lives of the people called Highland Park Baptist Church. And we'll be careful to give you all the praise because we do confess Jesus is Lord. And now if you would join me in praying as Jesus taught his disciples to pray, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Several words in there. Uh, it, first of all, it, the context is this is as Jesus is returning to heaven. He's already uh, done teaching and preaching uh, for three years of ministry. And then uh, he was crucified for our sins. He was raised from the dead three days later. And then there was a period of 40 days where Jesus uh, walked and talked with his disciples. And according to verse 3, it says he was talking about the kingdom of God. That's what he was talking about, about the rule of God. As, as Bryant led us to sing, our God reigns. What that means is uh, 
God is king. God is ruler. Jesus is ruler. He reigns in us and, and in all of life. And Jesus kind of fleshed that out for them over the course of about 40 days. And then he's going to return to heaven. And the, the, the uh, apostles are gathered there. And he tells them, he says, fellas, I want you to know uh, that you're going to wait in Jerusalem and wait there because you are going to receive power. That, that word power is the word dunamis. We get our word dynamite from it. But it, it, it actually is not so much explosive as it is ability or capability. You know, when he's saying you will receive power and you will be my witnesses, he's saying the Holy Spirit of God, God, God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. He says God the Son is returning to sit at the right hand of God the Father, but God the Spirit is going to come and live in you. You who are the people of God. Matter of fact, Paul says if, uh, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't, belong to, you don't belong to Christ. So every believer has the Holy Spirit who gives us the power to be his witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the other parts of the earth. It's kind of, we might compare it to say in here in Charleston and in South Carolina, the United States, and maybe in other cultures that are around us, and also to the ends of the earth. We, we are to be his witnesses. And notice, he didn't say you might be, you could be, you should be, or you ought to be. He says you will be. So if, if you're a born-again Christian, if you are counting on Jesus for your relationship to God and for your entrance into heaven, he says, before you get there, you are a witness of Jesus Christ right now. It's not you could be, you ought to be. It's you are right now. I suspect that many of us probably needed to hear the song that Mary played. People need the Lord because, Kurt's opinion, many churches don't operate as if people need the Lord. It's quite often that, you know, the idea of sharing our faith with someone, literally being a witness, telling other people about Jesus, it, it may be something on our list of things we ought to do. But it's like number 12, or maybe number 15, or somewhere in that. Um, all around the country now, particularly in, just in a lot of places where I've been lately, and some of the stuff I'm involved in with our denomination in the state and with our denomination nationally and otherwise, it, everyone is praying for revival or for renewal or revitalization in the church of Jesus Christ. Because to be quite honest with you, the average church in South Carolina is either plateaued or declining. Many of them won't even be open in a few years from now. And so we're praying for that. And we often ask, well, now how, how can we see revival and renewal and revitalization? How can we see all of that happen? And I think one of the, if not, not one of the reasons, but the reason is somehow we've lost our, our love for the lost, for the people that do not know Jesus yet. Uh, as I said this past week, I was in, in uh, 
Sycamore doing pre- preaching revival. And uh, the closest hotel, and I put the word hotel in quotes, the, the, the closest hotel is in uh, a town that I'd never been to before called Barnwell. Any of you have been to Barnwell? Yeah, yeah, you know it. Beautiful little town. Love the town square. Great place. So um, when I, uh, I, I drove over uh, Sunday morning, I, I don't like, I, I, I like to limit the number of nights that I sleep somewhere other than with my wife. You know, I, I sleep better when she's there. So I got up, you know, crack it on Sunday and drove over there. And that, so we checked in that afternoon. And when we went in to check in to the hotel, uh, I, I talked with the guy that, that was, uh, was there and uh, discovered that he was a Christian. He was a member of First Baptist Church there in Barnwell. Uh, but he was, he was from India that owned this, this hotel, and uh, he told me his name, but I messed it up so many times that he just said, call me Sonny. Sonny will be fine. Just call me Sonny. So I said, okay, Sonny. So we, we talked a little bit, and he checked me, you know, kind of processed to check me into my room and gave me my little key. You know, it's not a key. It's a card, you know, and that's what you do. So I was walking around to, to my room, and as I walked past, I noticed there was three men grilling something in a little courtyard. It was, it was meat of some kind, or at least it smelled like meat of some kind. And uh, as I, I noticed, they were Middle Eastern. They may have, may have been from either Pakistan or, or Saudi Arabia or some, somewhere. They were, I mean, I, I recognized they were Middle Eastern persons. And so, uh, you know, I'm from Union, South Carolina originally. You know that. So what do people do from Union, South Carolina? Hey, y'all. You know, how y'all doing over here? You know, that sort of a thing. It's just what we do. You know, and, and then I, it, was, it, it was not returned. There was not really a, a return there. I mean, they didn't say, hi, you, or how y'all doing? How's your mom and them? How's your mom and them? Didn't do any of that. So I went over to my door and kind of stuck my key in, in the door, and it didn't work. Well, I pushed it through, you know, a little bit more, so I turned it up, and pushed it, so I flipped it around, and I was turning everything. So I, I said, I turned around to the three Middle Eastern guys. I said, did any of y'all's doors do this too? I mean, it was probably that good a grammar. You know, did any of y'all's doors do this too? And uh, once again, they, they, what they, they just stared at me and pointed to the office. <laughs> you know, you need to go to the office. That's really. But about that time, the door opened of the room I was trying to get into. And there was a huge man there that said, can I help you? And I said, well, no, this is, this is my room. And see, it's the same number. It's, this is my room. Yeah, okay, brother. It's yours, man. I, no problem there. So I walked back around to go to the office to tell them. And as I walk in, there was a, there was a, a, a young man there who was waiting in line to talk to Sonny. And so uh, once again, you know, hey, <laughs> how you doing? I'm fine. Why are you asking me that? No reason, brother, man. There's no reason whatsoever. I said, where are you from? He said, Germany. Oh, what are you doing in America? And he told me what he was doing. You know, there's something. So by the time I got, I said, my, my word. So I finally got my key fixed. And I'm walking back to my room. And I'm passing by the three Middle Eastern guys who are staring at me as I walk. You know, and I'm wondering about the big guy in the other room. Wonder what he's thinking. Because they put me in the room next to him. And then I wondered about the German guy around there. And it, it reminded me of a personal experience 
uh, when I, I was in Cairo, Egypt once, uh, well, I've been there more than once, but, but one time I was there, and back then, in my younger days, I ran. And wherever we went, I liked to get out and run, run to learn where I was. And I got lost in Cairo. If any of you have ever even been there or seen it, it's, that's the biggest city in the world. And it was huge, and I, I, got, I got lost, and I really did. And I almost panicked. Now, the reason that I panicked was everybody that I went to talk to didn't speak my language and they didn't look like me. And I, I looked around trying to say, is there, is there anybody here like me? And there was no one there like me. And I almost panicked. And finally, some guy came over that spoke English and said, can I help you? And I said, well, I can't. And so he helped me get back to my hotel. Well, that's how I felt Sunday afternoon. I said, is there anybody here like me? Is there anybody from, from my culture? That is here, and there wasn't. And so it kind of made me a little bit unnerved. I was a little bit uncertain. And when I went into my room, this is, you know, I do confessional preaching. Those of you that don't know me, I'll tell you, everybody that's ever heard me speak knows that I'm messed up, but we know that. And I just go ahead and tell you what it is so you won't be surprised when you hear about it. But I went to my room and, and checked. I wanted to know how many locks did that door have? I did. I'm looking, thinking, well, now that one doesn't look very strong. Uh, and that's the kind of the way that I was going. I was uncertain. I was unsure. And we men don't normally admit this, but I, I think I was afraid. That night I preached at the church, and then the next morning when I got up to have my time alone with the Lord, the Lord convicted me. And here's what he convicted me of. Never once did I wonder if any of those people knew Jesus. Never, never once. The primary concern of my life was my own safety, my own well-being, and locking my door. But I never once wondered, I wonder if he knows Jesus. I wonder if he or she, I didn't think about those things. And I, as I thought through that, I said, Lord, why is that? You see, I believe, Kurt, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And Kurt, you shall be my witness in Charleston, in Sycamore, in Barnwell, among people that are like you, among people that are not like you, and wherever you will be my witnesses. So I confess my sin. I repented of that sin, of failing to even think about whether they knew Jesus or not. Of course, the question that came to me then was, why, why is... Why do we preachers have to tell people, y'all, get out there and go tell people about Jesus? Why do we have to have sermons based on witnessing because we're not doing it? Well, why are we not doing it? Why do we regard witnessing for Jesus as a chore or a task 
or a duty. Well, you know, I have a little continuum that I, anything worthwhile doing, I, I think I start doing it because I have to, and then I do it because I ought to. Pretty soon I'll do it because I need to. But what, the ones that I continue doing are the ones that I want to and the things I love to. I, I can remember when I would witness because the preacher said I was supposed to. I can remember witnessing because I was doing something else and a little voice said, well, you know you ought to be witnessing. Okay, I'll go witness. Or then, I, whenever I'd lead somebody to Christ, it made me feel better. And I think, you know, I need to get out there and lead somebody to Jesus so I'll feel better. Have to, ought to, need to. I think, Kurt's opinion, just my opinion, I think it's because we have begun to look at witnessing. And I'm talk, when I say we, I'm talking about the Christian church. I think we've begun to look at witnessing more, as I said, a duty, a responsibility, a chore, some of those sort of things. This past week, as I was preparing for this message, uh, I ran across in my personal time two, uh, two verses in Isaiah 43. Uh, Amber, can I look at uh, uh, verse 10 first, please? Isaiah 43. 10. Here's what it says. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord. Is that up there? Yeah. You are my witnesses, the Lord's declaration. Oh, okay, that's Holman Christian Standard. That's a, that's a night translation. We'll use that one. You are my witnesses, the Lord's declaration and my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me and there will be none after me. Now this was written 600 years before Jesus was born. This was written to the Hebrew people. God said to the Hebrew people, to the Jewish people, you will be my witnesses because I'm God. And he told them, but for some reason, the Hebrew people didn't accept this mandate to be a witness. Other than, I mean, they created a religion and they, anybody that wanted to know about it, they'd tell you how you could get into it. But the idea of being his witnesses and going places and telling people about Jesus, it just, we know historically that it didn't happen. Now, now can I see verse 4? Because you are precious in my eyes and honored and I love you, I give men in return for you, peoples in exchange for your life. This is what God is saying. What I've done is I've allowed you to conquer many nations as the nation of Israel. And that's not, you know, that's what he talks about, the people in exchange. But look at the three things he says there. You are precious in my eyes. See, we can apply that to the church because that was applied to the people of God. He says, people of God, you are precious in, in my eyes, God says. Highland Park Baptist Church, you are precious. You're a treasure. You're extremely valuable in my eyes. And then the, the last of those three things, he says, and I love you. Uh, it, it's not I have warm, fuzzy feelings. 
It's I, I'm concerned about you and I blessed you and I'm, I want to care for and I can, I'm concerned for your welfare. That's the word we, we, tra- uh, we translate the word shalom sometimes to mean just peace, but what it means is well-being. And God is concerned with your well-being. But look at that middle phrase there. Because you are precious, and it's literally using my grammar, I think correctly, because you are honored. And I, I, when I read that, I said, well, he's talking about God needs to be honored. But then I said, no, and I went and checked it out. I wasn't a Hebrew scholar, but I studied a little bit, and I found out that he's still talking about the people of God. He says, the people of God are honored. And I said, well, why, why are we honored? Because God chose us. Because God said, I have decided, and I realize I'm Kurt Bradford translation. God is saying, I have decided to redeem the world rather than to punish it. I have decided to save the world. I have decided that rather than punishing them for years and years and decades and millennia of sin, I've decided to take their punishment on myself, and I'm going to do that in my son Jesus. And those of you who have been saved, it is an honor to be a witness. It's not a chore or a privilege or responsibility as much as it is an honor. Paul even said uh, in 2 Corinthians 5, he said that, therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. I thought about, you know, uh, our, our own governor was an ambassador to the United Nations, you know. Uh, I took some friends that were visiting from Nashville to uh, uh, Boone, is it Boone Farms or Boone Hill? Boone Hill's wine, right? <laughs> hey, I, I wasn't saved for a while. I remember those names, you know, I couldn't, you know, I think that was what the, the, the quality of Ripple, I think you could buy six gallons of wine for a dollar and a half, you know, there's that kind of thing, but, but, but we took these friends to Boone Farm, and we found out that several of the people that had lived there had been ambassadors, one of them was an ambassador to, to the Netherlands, and I'm thinking, now can you imagine that the, the, the governor or the, pres, the president, the president says, we would like you to be the ambassador to a nation. Would, really, would you seriously go like this? Oh, I'll do a half to. No, get somebody else. I don't want to be that. Wouldn't you consider it an honor to be asked to be the ambassador? Jesus says, you are his ambassadors. You are his witness. He doesn't have a plan B. He doesn't have another group of people over here that they're going to be the ones who are going to be the witnesses. He's decided that he's going to use you and me. He's decided to work through ordinary people like you and I to be his witnesses. So what do we need to do to actually become those witnesses? There are a couple of things we need to think about. Obviously, we need to pray about it. I, I discovered this past week when I was praying, I, I keep a prayer journal of what I'm praying about. So I, I know when God answers it, I'll go write it down or whatever. But I was looking back over my prayer journal. And what I discovered was I pray uh, more for my family, uh, my, and my grandchildren, my, my children, my grandchildren, my friends, for people that are sick, you know, that I know. Uh, I have a friend now that's under hospice care. I pray for him. I pray for churches. I pray for pastors. I pray for your, your pastor search committee. 
looking for, I, I pray for all of those things. But you know, one of the few things I pray for, one of the things that's the fewest, the lost. I rarely pray for the lost. I'm a pastor. I've done this 45 plus years. And I'm looking back over there and I'm thinking, well, and, and all of those other things need to be prayed for. They really, I'm not saying don't pray for those things. I'm just saying, what about the lost? You know, most of our prayer meetings, our Wednesday night prayer meetings among Baptist churches, there's a list. And every now and then there'll be someone who's lost. So, I mean, if we're not praying that the lost will be saved, who is? Because they're not. You know, we're the ones. So that's the first thing. Second, uh, two things I want to just show you here. We witness, number one, by living what Jesus taught. When we live what Jesus taught, we are actually witnessing. We are, uh, Brian referred to it earlier. When you decide to be a joyful person or you decide to be kind or when you decide to absorb more pain than you inflict, when you decide to, to re- crucify bitterness and unforgiveness in your life, when you decide to be gentle or kind or those kind of things, God uses that. God uses every bit of that because the way that we live actually is a witness. But we also witness by serving other people. You know, this church has a reputation of serving I think of, uh, you know, just the many things that you mentioned it this morning, the Samaritan's Purse that you're going to be doing, the, the latchkey ministry. All of, every one of those things is a witness. You know, when, when you serve other people, and especially when you serve other people expecting nothing in return. See, many of us serve because we're expecting somebody one day to serve us back. It's, it's almost a reciprocal arrangement. I tell you what, I'm going to serve you a while. Now, you promise you'll serve me? That's not a good motive for serving. Serving ought to be, I am serving you not because I expect anything back. I'm serving you because that's what people that are called disciples of Jesus do. That's who we are. That's who we are. I am a born-again disciple of Jesus who is a witness and a servant. We serve because disciples of Jesus serve. That's, that's what we, and every time you do that, you're planting a little seed in the heart or the life of that, of that teenager or maybe that person at work where you, where, you, where you go in and you help that person at work, you know, whenever, or, or that person that, uh, that is really caught in sin. Uh, recently, uh, uh, somebody that I knew from my high school days committed a grievous sin and is probably going to go to prison. And I know that most people kind of, you know, let's get, stay as far away as we can. I'm thinking, give me his number. I, you know, I'm calling you. Hey, my brother, heard what happened. I'm really sorry, you know, but I just want you to know I'm praying for you. I just want you to know I'm lo- I love you and I'm praying. What can I do for you? You know, I wasn't saying what you did was not wrong. I didn't go there. But I said, how can I serve you? You see, I think that when we do that, mo- I think the world is used to conditional everything. I'll serve you if you serve me. Or how about this one? I'll serve, I'll serve you if you'll come to my church. Or I'll give you food if you promise you'll come to church Sunday. Or, or this one, we did a thing uh, 
I don't know how long ago, probably 15 or 20 years ago, called Convoy of Hope. And we held it downtown, and it was giving away food and clothing. It was a big deal. That's like five or 6,000 people came. But in order to get the food, you had to go into a tent and listen to a preacher preach the gospel. That was the only way you could get the food. So there's a bunch of people, you could, you could ask them afterward, did you get saved? Well, yeah, I did, because that's the only way you get the food. I got me a new shirt. I got saved and a new shirt. You want to come to church with me Sunday? Oh, I ain't going to no church. <laughs> you know, I just said what they wanted me to say to get the goodies. See, we serve in a way that's based like Jesus taught us to serve. The last thing is that we witness by telling other people about Jesus. Listen, if all we ever do is live a life that's like the life Jesus taught, and if all we ever do is, is serve, and I'm saying do both, but if we never tell them about Jesus, they may think that we're just a really cool member of the Civitan Club or that we're just a moral person. And they may never know. You know, there are moral people out there that are irreligious and atheists. So we have to tell them about Jesus. Uh, I'm still a member of River Bluff Church where I was pastor for 26 years. And uh, the pastor there now was my uh, associate. And he just recently challenged our church to accept responsibility um, for a five-mile radius of our church that we would be responsible to see that every man, woman, boy, and girl heard the gospel and had an opportunity to respond to it. That's pretty big. What if Highland Park were to say, let's draw a five-mile circle radius from this spot right here. And what if we were to commit to say, every man, woman, boy, and girl that lives within five miles of this church will have the opportunity to hear and respond to the gospel. Wow. Then the other churches don't become competitors, they're allies. You work together to see all of that because we have to tell them about Jesus that's why God placed a church in Hanahan because the church doesn't have a mission the mission has a church yeah I, I decided to go back to school because I'm not bright and so I've gone back started studying and, and um one of the books I was reading this past week had a story about a man by the name of Bakht Singh, S-I-N-G-H. And uh, Bakht Singh uh, came to America in 19... Well, I'm sorry, came to Canada in 1929. He was from India. And uh, Bakht Singh came here to pursue an agricultural engineering degree at the University of Winnipeg. And uh, uh, while he was there, it was 1929... Uh, and I don't know, those of you that know the history, that's, that's the, the big crash, the Great Depression. It seemed like just a really happy guy. He just was very happy. He was whistling and singing a little bit. And so Bach Singh, you know, thinking, you know, the Great Depression is going on. People are losing jobs. We have, I'm a homeless. 
you know, and all that. And you're singing, what is this? Why are you so happy? And, and this man, whose name was Owen Hansen, said, Christ in the heart. That's all he said, Christ in the heart. And Bach Singh said, tell me more. And so the man gave him, Owen Hansen, gave him a New Testament. Bach Singh took the New Testament back to his little room at the YMCA and began reading. And he couldn't put it down. Especially the part that says, unless a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. And he read through all that and, and uh, he finally talked to Owen and he said, we've got to talk more about this. And Owen said, well, I'd like you to meet a friend of mine who's a banker. His name is John Hayward. And so Bach Singh said, well, sure, if he's a friend of yours, I want to meet him. And so he introduced him to John Hayward. John Hayward was a banker. And if any of you know anything about the Depression, the banks were really crashing. I mean, they were, they were about all went under. And so John Hayward was a banker. And his bank is kind of going under. But John Hayward was a Christian. So when they got introduced, the Spirit moved on John and, and said, why don't you offer this man a place to stay? So he went to his wife and he says, there's a guy here from India that doesn't have a place to stay. Would you mind if we gave him the extra bedroom? And his wife said, no, of course not. So they gave him the extra bedroom. And Bok Singh lived there in the extra bedroom of John Hayward's house. But by living there, he sat in on all the family devotions. He actually went to church with them because he wanted to hear and explore all of that. Within two years, Bok Singh prayed to receive Christ and was baptized as a believer in Jesus Christ, like this baptism here. Bok Singh decided he had finished school by then. He went back to India told his mother and his father, and his mother and father disowned him. They were Hindu of the Sikh tribe and chose that just to reject him completely, told him never to come home, just stay away, cut off all ties with him. Bok Singh accepted that as being his lot because he saw that was the lot of his Lord. But he couldn't stop talking. Matter of fact, his parents told him, he said, never ever tell anybody about Jesus. And Bok Singh said, would you like me to stop breathing as well? So he began to tell people about Jesus and then tell other people. The people that he told, told other people. And within four or five years, there were somewhere in the neighborhood of 10,000 Christians in India that began with Bok Singh. In the year 2000, Bok Singh died. They had his funeral in one of the larger cities in India, and 700,000 Christians came to his funeral. Who was Owen Hansen? Who was John Hayward? <laughs> See, one man who had a positive attitude and said, Christ in the heart was the primary catalyst for this chain that resulted in 700,000 Christians. Now, this morning, on the way over here, I thought about Sonny. Sonny, remember Sonny, the hotel guy? So I called Sonny. And uh, his wife answered, and she, and she said, you know, hello. And I said, well... This is Kurt Bradford. Uh, I'm the, the ball preacher from last week. Oh, yes, 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, 
I said, well, I wanted to talk to Sonny. Is he there? She said, sure. And he let me talk to him. And I said, Sonny, have you ever heard of Bach sing? He laughed. He said, well, of course. He said, that's how my family came to know Jesus. He said, we're the third generation of Christians because of Bach Singh. What are you going to do with that? I, I, I believe that revitalization, renewal, revival, all of that in the church will really begin when members of churches begin to recognize that the work is in the fields. The work is in the fields. The people you work with at your office, your neighbor, maybe members of your family. See, the reality is our theology, not just our beliefs, but our theology is that today, if Jesus were to return, six, I'm sorry, five billion people do not know Jesus. In a planet of seven billion, five billion do not know Jesus. And many of them may be in your family or maybe work with you or live next door. And some of them don't look like you. And some of them may make you a little bit anxious. But these are the ones for whom Christ died. Show me a person Jesus didn't die for. For it is not the will of my Father that any should be lost. I want to invite you to pray with me now as a form of invitation. Would you bow your heads, please, and pray with me? I'm going to pray um, three prayers. And uh, if, if this is your prayer, you, you can just say at the end of it, me too. You know, you don't have to, don't follow along with each word and saying, well, I, I didn't know what I was praying for. I want you to listen to what I pray, and then you just say to the Lord, me too. If that's what you want to do. Lord, change my thinking about witnessing so that I can honor you by witnessing and see people like you do. Second prayer. Lord, give me courage to talk to other people about you, about Jesus. Third prayer. Lord, use this church to reach this community and the world for Jesus Christ. Now, I'm going to ask you to continue to pray. But I'm going to ask you that if you prayed any one of those three prayers, I'm going to ask you if you would stand. Don't look around. Just continue to pray.
Lord Jesus, you see your people standing before you. I pray now that you will use your people for your kingdom purposes. I pray, God, that this will not be just an emotional commitment at the end of a church service, but that it will be a genuine commitment that they're making because they are prompted by your Holy Spirit and your word and because we are learning to love people, because we're beginning to really believe that people need the Lord. So I pray this all in your name, Lord Jesus. Amen. Would you all stand, please? And uh, Bryant, are you going to lead us in, in a song, song now? And um, I want to invite you that if, if you're here today and you've never committed your life to Christ, or you feel like you need to re- recommit your life to Christ, or maybe you want to join this church, these fine folks, they have a better preacher than me, a better pastor right now, and he'll be the guy that really is nice to you. Uh, I'm the one telling you, you need to go witness. But um, if you, any one of those decisions that need to be expressed publicly or you want to express pu- publicly, I'm going to stand down here at front and I'll be here to pray with you. Would you sing, Brian?